let's pray together. Father, we live in a world that makes so much noise all of the time that oftentimes we don't take time to think or to appreciate what's going on in our life. The days seem to meld together, Lord, and we live in a house with other people and so often don't appreciate them. And very often, dear God, we come and go in our life and don't even notice the people around us or what you're doing. And you bring us together on this a Sunday to worship before we recognize the birth of Jesus. What a wonderful time for us to stop and reflect back. For dear God, you have been at work in our lives all year long as you are every year. You're a God who loves us and a God who cares for us. You're a God who allows things to happen that are challenging and you use those things to your own end, always to bring us closer, always to build us up in our faith. And then, dear God, you give us joyful times in our life. We thank you for all of that, Lord. We thank you for the way you superintend our lives. I ask you to forgive us, Father, because sometimes we get into a dark corner we forget that you love us and we forget that you're involved in our life and it seems like we're involved in the struggles of life all by ourselves. I pray, dear God, that this morning, if there's conflict or if there's struggles or challenges in our lives that we've not turned over to you, I pray we might do that. And I pray under the revealing power of the Holy Spirit that you'd help us to confess the sin of our life, whatever it might be. And help us, dear God, to be fully repentant as we seek to overcome that sin. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we live in a beautiful country that has a wonderful heritage. And Lord, we're reminded that much of that heritage is being clouded today by a change in our culture. I pray, dear God, for our land and pray that you and your Holy Spirit would sweep through this land, that people might come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior in a very personal way, and that you would give us new hearts that we might live differently, that we might see life differently. And I pray, dear God, your presence with those who are in leadership positions and those who are in the military, and those who serve in the police, and those, dear God, who are involved in all the other helping services. And I pray, Lord, that you would draw them closer to you. Father, one by one, I pray you'd touch us and minister to us, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us the ability to respond. I thank you for our church and what it means to this community. I thank you for the rich heritage that we have had. And and thank you for those who've been in leadership in years past. And I pray, dear God, for our church today and tomorrow and for the years to come. That we might be faithful to you. That we might be known as a loving and prayerful church. 
that focuses on your word. And I pray, dear God, that you would use us to touch other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you again for allowing us to be together. Please bless us now, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, and we're going to begin with the 39th verse. The Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, and we're going to begin with the 39th verse and study through the 45th. I encourage you to take your pew Bible or your Bible that you brought with you and open it up to the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. Put your finger on that 35th or 39th verse and then look up so I'll know you're ready to move on. Please keep your Bibles open in your lap as we study together so you'll see why I say what I say. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit. As we're going to be reminded this morning by this very passage, when your spirit's at work, unbelievable things happen for us. We have insights and we have understanding that we would not otherwise have. I pray that that would happen this morning as we open your word. And I pray that our lives would be so impacted that it would change the way we live. So bless us now, Father, for I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I think it probably has been hard for anyone to live in our country over the last week and not heard about Phil Robertson. 67-year-old patriarch of Duck's Dynasty. Reportedly the most watched cable TV program in our country. And if you followed that at all, you know that in an interview, he quoted 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, where God says that God allows no unrighteous people into his presence. That's not a new story. The Bible teaches that from Genesis all the way through to the Revelation. It also lists in that passage some, but not all, of the sins that people get involved in. One of those sins it lists is homosexuality. And it goes on to end that passage by saying that those who practice those sins and do not repent will not be in the presence of God eternally. There aren't any ifs or buts Or what do you think about that? It's a simple statement from God of how things are. But it's so important to look at the very last verse. And that last verse says, some of you, meaning some of the readers, some of us, have been involved in those sins, but they have been washed away by the blood of Christ. And you are the very people who will spend eternity in heaven. It's a beautiful promise. What happened this past week? Why such an uproar? Why so many people who've taken objection? (coughs) Anytime you start to talk about Jesus, 
Anytime you start to talk about the scriptures, there are those who do not want to hear that. I wonder why we haven't heard from the drunkards, which are listed. wonder why we haven't heard from the adulterers that are listed. We've only heard from one group. Surely those other groups have representatives in our culture. It's an interesting fact. People who do not want to hear what God has to say don't attack God. They attack the messenger. And I think that's what's happening. As you read the passage today, you'll see and be reminded that Elizabeth, who in her latter years conceived a child, immediately withdrew from society for five months because I feel that she probably was received or would have been received just like Phil Robertson. People would not have wanted to hear that God had worked a miracle in her life. They wouldn't want to hear about an angel. And knowing that and sensing that, she withdrew. I think you can see the same thing in the response of Mary. Mary has an encounter with an angel, And Mary is told, you shall conceive a child while yet a virgin. And can you imagine how her next-door neighbor would have received that message? If you're not open through the Holy Spirit to the teaching of God, you don't want to hear those kind of things. That's the world they lived in, and it's the world that you and I live in. And we need to be honest about it, and we need to face the reality of what's going on in our culture. It is not a godly culture. And there's evidence of that all around us. I want you to look at the passage with me. It's a beautiful next step in the birth sequence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to be reading from the 39th verse through the 45th verse, just as soon as I take a sip of water. I've often thought, If a person does that in public, there are others who would like to have a sip. But you don't want to drink after me today. I want you to listen as God speaks to us, starting with the 39th verse of the first chapter. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city in Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears... The baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. (coughs) May God bless the reading of his word. You know, if you stop and just think back through the narratives we've been studying the last few weeks, God sent an angel named Gabriel angel came to an elderly priest, came to him in the temple when he was performing his duties. And he appeared to him 
And he told him what was about to happen. In essence, what he said is, your elderly wife, Elizabeth, who has passed the point of childbearing, is going to conceive a child. And that child's going to come into this world, and that child is going to be a forerunner of the promised Messiah. And he's going to touch people, and God's going to use him to redirect the lives of fathers and mothers all throughout the land. The next thing that happened is exactly what Gabriel had said. Elizabeth conceived a child and immediately withdrew, as Scripture tells us, for five months out of public view. The next event, that same angel appears to Mary, a young virgin in a remote village, probably one of the most unlikely places on earth that you'd ever think that God would choose someone. But he chose Mary, and he appeared through the angel Gabriel, and he informed her what he was going to do in her life. And he said, while you are yet an a-, a virgin, I am going to cause you to conceive a child. And his name shall be Jesus, and he shall be the Savior. What he was saying is this Messiah that we've been waiting on since Adam and Eve's sin is going to be born into the world. And he has come to save people. And then the angel appeared one more time. He appeared again to the man that was betrothed to Mary, to Joseph. And he did the pastoral thing. He went to Joseph and said, hey, Joseph, you're going to be shocked by what's going to happen. And I don't want you to react in an inappropriate way. I don't want you to put Mary aside. Instead, I want you to stand by the one you're engaged to, and I want you to protect her, and I want you to keep her a virgin, and I want you to be there for her, for she's going to give birth to the promised Messiah. Now, you know what that's all about. That's all about a God who has a plan, and he's working his plan out. And he visited particular people who didn't even live in the same region with each other, and he's starting to pull that whole plan together. And I want you to know something. He does that in your life and my life every day. He's working with other people that you may not even be able to see or hear from to cause situations to work so that it will be a blessing to you. He works in our families. He works among our our friends. He's a God who really cares and a God who's orchestrating his plan in your life and my life. And folks, we need to be sensitive to that outworking of his plan, to not think we're walking through this life all by ourselves, because we're not. And if we get all the way to the day that we're before Jesus, and we enter into heaven, and we have not had an appreciation of how he's worked in our life all the days of our life, we will have missed the beauty of life. For you belong, and I belong through Jesus Christ to God. We are his children, and he is a loving father who takes care of us. If you look on down in the 39th through 40th verses, you see about a narrative about the visit of Mary. And it simply says, now at that time, meaning she has just conceived in her womb a child, she's just heard about Elizabeth, 
and she immediately sets out on what was at least a three-day journey, which was forever in those days, to make that trek down to the hill country in the south of Judea. It's interesting, it doesn't tell us the name of the village, because that's not important. It doesn't tell us some of those specific facts. It stays very focused on the theme. And the theme is that she is going to a relative's home. We don't know who the relatives, what that relationship was, but she's going to Elizabeth's home. And when she walks into Elizabeth's home, a confirmation takes place. You see, Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. And if my memory serves me right, at six months, you can tell a baby is being carried by a mama. And don't you imagine when Mary stepped through that threshold and she looked at Elizabeth, she said, there's the confirmation that all that I have been told is really going to happen. Don't you like that kind of concreteness in your life? Well, the Lord took her to Elizabeth to give her that concreteness. And you know the other thing he did? He took her to Elizabeth because they had had similar experiences spiritually. And they could talk to each other and comfort each other and encourage each other. I got to thinking as I was working on that part of the passage, there's so many times that we get together socially we get together to eat, we get together for sporting events, we get together to go shopping, we get together for all kinds of things. And so very often at the end of the day, we've never mentioned Jesus. We who know him have been together and we've not talked at all about spiritual things. I want you to know that the next door neighbor or the person you work with or maybe a person in your family who doesn't know Christ you can't share with them about what God's doing in your life because so often they don't want to hear it. But when you're with another believer, you have the opportunity to get confirmation, just like Mary got, and also to get comfort and encouragement. So what I do is I encourage you. Look at your Christian friends and know that while we're to be a witness in a world that does not know the Lord, and we're not to withdraw from that. But at the same time we're being a witness, you need a support group of people who know Jesus and who can talk with you and you can talk with them. That happens in our small group ministry. That happens in part in our Sunday school ministry. That happens when two or more of you get together and the Lord fills the empty seat. And you have the opportunity to encourage each other. If you're not doing that, I encourage you to do it. If you look on down at the 41st through 44th verses, you see the pronouncement. <coughs> Mary walks into the room and Elizabeth says, wow, guess what just happened? Now, I remember the first time in our first pregnancy when my wife said to me, Put your hand here. You can feel the baby move. Some of you remember that? That's an amazing thing, particularly in the age in which I grew up. I didn't know anything about any of that. And to know that there was a human being inside who was maturing and growing because of God, that's an amazing thing. 
Well, what Elizabeth says is, my baby, six months into the pregnancy, just jumped, didn't roll over and change positions, leaped for joy. And the reason my baby leaped for joy is the mother of the Messiah just walked in the door. Isn't that amazing? If you look on in those same verses, you'll see the thing that made all this possible. The Holy Spirit immediately comes on Elizabeth. Now, when the Holy Spirit starts to indwell you and starts to speak to you, you begin to have an awareness that you would not otherwise have. And you can see that awareness spelled out because Elizabeth is able to say of Mary, you know, you're the blessed of God. Now, how did she know that? The Holy Spirit helped her discern that. And she said, and the one you carry in your womb is a blessing from God. Again, the Holy Spirit is giving that kind of insight to this mother in some remote village in Judea. If you look on just a bit more, Elizabeth says of the child that Mary is carrying, he is my Lord. You see that in the verses? A personal testimony that something has happened in Elizabeth's life that has brought her to the point that she knows this unborn child who's just been conceived is going to be the promised Messiah and she accepts him as her Lord. You know what the point of all that is? God has given his Holy Spirit to us. And somehow we have, in many cases, taken the whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit and put it in a box, and we've sealed the box, and we've written on it, Holy Spirit, and we get on with our life. I remember back in the 1960s, and particularly in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of talk in our country about the Holy Spirit. The Pentecostal churches were growing. All sorts of things were happening in our country. You know something else that was going on? Christianity was in real jeopardy with the sexual revolution that was taking place at the same time. You know which of those two you see prevalent today? You don't hear much about the Holy Spirit today. You see all kind of evidence today of the sexual revolution and the results of that revolution. I yearn for the Holy Spirit to become obvious in our churches and in our society and for us not to be fearful of him moving in us because as he moves in us, he gives us discernment and insight and he draws us closer to God. We need to give the Holy Spirit freedom and not quench him and not resist him, as Paul warns us not to do. And when we allow him the freedom to work as he wants to work, we'll have the same kind of insights, and we'll have that same intimacy that Elizabeth was starting to experience. If you look on down, I want to stop a minute. As I've worked on this passage, 
I thought, how ironic. We're talking about a baby who's six months old in the womb of Elizabeth. We're talking about a baby who's just been conceived in the womb of Mary. And in our society, we want to debate when life starts. And we want to set a point at which we can take the life of that child. How do you take the life of a child who is in the sixth month of pregnancy? How do you take the life of a child that has been ordained by God to be born to a mama? And we would take that life into our own hands, even at the point of conception. I don't understand how we do that. And I want you to know a frightening thing has happened about five years ago in our society. Two doctors in Australia wrote in the medical journal that they are advocates of fourth trimester abortion. Do you know what that means? I get my baby, my baby is born, I get to watch my baby for three months, and if I'm not happy, I can do away with my child. Where will all this take us? We have no right to tamper with God's creation. He did not give us that authority to be sovereign over the life of a child. And to think that anyone would take the life of John the Baptist or of Jesus before they were born is unthinkable. Think on that when you get home today. And when you have an opportunity to speak out in a graceful but direct way, don't be ashamed. Speak out. We need to make a change in our society. If you look at the 45th verse, you see the announcement. And the announcement is a very simple announcement. It goes like this. You're blessed when you believe the things that you're being told. You're happy, which is a synonym for being blessed. You're a happy person when you have faith and you really believe. And folks, if you believe and if I believe that God gave a gift to us, his son, Jesus the Christ, the promised Messiah. And if you and I believe he lived on this earth, he ministered on this earth, he started a movement that we now know as the Christian church, that he went to a cross and died for us for your sins, the ones you deal with on a daily basis. And he died for us to atone that we might in fact go to heaven and that he rose again from this earth into heaven only to promise that he's coming back. Do you believe all that? If you believe those things, they become a reality. And when they become a reality for you, you're a happy person because you've got a peace in here that you can't get anyplace else through anybody else or through any other experience on earth. It is a divine peace that he gives to us. I told somebody, you know what I'd like to do when I make this statement this morning? I'd like to back up and I'd like to turn my side to you and do a complete flip in the air and land right over there. But they put mic stands there, so I'm not going to do it. (laughs) That's what a leap of joy is. It's when you get outside yourself a little bit and you say, I really believe this. Because God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, has made it possible for me to believe. Do you believe?
do you? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example you give us through the experience of Mary and Elizabeth. I thank you even more, dear God, for the child that Mary carried and that was born and that lived and died and lives again. I thank you for our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Please, dear God, Help us to grow closer to you, to know you more perfectly, and to express our love and our thanksgiving more readily. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Got your shopping finished? I told a couple of folks in our church, I went on my annual shopping spree this week. Monday evening, Linda and I drove to Athens and I bought one gift. And I was just exhausted when that was over. (laughs) But I got Linda's gift, and that's the important thing. And she's taking care of all those other children and grandchildren, you know, little tasks. You want a refreshment? Come Christmas Eve. A promised time of intimacy with the Lord. God bless you and God keep you. May you smile at the world that you live in with a confidence not in yourself, but in the one who loves you. God be with you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.